Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the convo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it, I know you can't get enough At home, at work, it don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes, you know what's up, ayy uh, Rising from the ashes Well, I don't know, maybe the map that showed California broken off was a future Future, 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 Yeah, okay. The script that I discovered will take us back to Prince Matt and King Arthur. If, you, if you've seen the cover for the first edition book, there's a symbol on it, on the cover, that uh, is a piece of script that I found over the entrance to a cave. Piece of script, piece of script, piece of script, piece of script, piece of script. Prince Matt was supposed to have been a half brother to King Arthur. And everybody else. They all knew how to do this. But they all used their own language and their own alphabet or symbology. evidence that they were here. And by the way, the Civil War graffiti looked like it had been carved that day.
everybody. It is the homie Romy. How are you? Hope you're doing well. We have a great show for you today with an author and researcher, explorer, treasure hunter, and all of the things, treasure hunting of the consciousness and the interesting history of the Ohio Valley and the author of The Graves of the Golden Bear. I'm going to read a quick excerpt before we get into the show from his book, The Graves of the Golden Bear, page 130. Here we go. At the end of the article, I ask readers who might be aware of the stone walls or other stone structures near rivers, on high bluffs, generally along the line, but without any historical references, to email me. One reader did just that and invited me to come see for myself. This is a good time to intone, be careful what you wish for. Franz, the property owner and nearly lifelong resident, took me out to see the walls, or rather wall segments, on his property. I went armed with pretty standard tools, camera, compass, protractor, notepad, tape measure, binoculars, and a handheld GPS receiver. I should have taken a poncho on that first visit. I collected a reddish black rock samples from a large outcropping adjacent to the largest wall segment and sent it to Scott Walter for essay. I thought there may be enough iron in it to warrant smelting. The iron yield is way too small to warrant any industrial site for that purpose. The assay appears as part of Appendix 1. The long and short of this site is it that some anomalous wall segments of unknown origin and unknown purpose, later consultation with a couple archaeologists suggested that the design is consistent with some late Roman works where the st- stone wall segments acted as a drainage way for a palisade-type defensive enclosure. I have now made multiple visits to the site and have yet to find any tool marks anywhere on the stones, yet the depth or thickness of the wall segments is very consistent at about 22 inches. Some of the stones are quite large and are estimated to weigh as much as 800 pounds. There is a single clue indicating great age and a prehistoric origin for the longest wall segment. It is a living white beech tree estimated to be in excess of 300 years old. Its roots grew into an eroded and fallen section of that wall segment. Logically, that section of the wall had already collapsed at least 300 years before that tree. Well, there you have it, everybody. It's quite mysterious, and that's really what we talk about today, that there was ancient Romans or something along those lines here in America way before Columbus. And it's super fascinating. This book, Graves of the Golden Bear, by our guest today, Rick Osman, is actually pretty hard to find online. He's trying to get it reprinted um, and, and re-going again, but uh, you know, if you can find a copy of this book, it's really interesting. And it comes with a lot of really cool archaeological finds of ancient Roman ruins and coins and so on and so forth. And this book is loaded with that type of really awesome information. And you guys are going to love today's episode. Dan and I sure did. There were some moments with the King Arthur goodness in there and so on and so forth. So 
Let us know how you guys like this show. Make sure to go over to the Telegram, Telegram rising from the ashes and join the conversation. We have an amazing community over there that you guys are gonna fit right in. Ask any questions. We're posting pictures all the time. All of the goodness, everybody. Also, don't forget that we have a Patreon. For only three bucks a month, you can get Dan and I's personal show. It's amazing, and we are always putting up really fun episodes on there, at least two hours long, and talking about consciousness and ancient history, so on and so forth, my friends. And here, I welcome you to our interview with Rick Osman author of the graves of the golden bear hello everyone welcome to from the ashes got a little echo action going on i like it roman how you doing man i'm doing good brother uh stoked we got an early morning uh uh interview this morning last time we did was with sarah breswin cosme and that was fantastic so i my expectations are you know they're there because Rick is awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, we're here today with Rick Osman. Uh, he wrote the book, The Graves of the Golden Bear, and uh, also helped co-write Pangea Anthology. Uh, how are you doing, Rick? I am well, thank you. Thanks for being here. We appreciate your time. No problem. I, I have an hour or more, so let's dig in. All right. Let's dig. For the people who are not aware of you, uh, why don't you give them a little bit of background about yourself and then how you got into discovering treasures? Okay. Well, right out of high school, I went into the Air Force, did a, a short term there, got out, went back to school, got a associate of science in laser and electro optics technology. It sounds real fancy, but it's really just flashlights gone haywire. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did about 25 years career of that with the mostly with the U.S. Navy, but also with a couple or three different companies out industries of the military defense industries. So I got pretty smart with the different technologies that can be used to do remote sensing. The, the folks I was working for in the military wanted to know if there were tanks under the trees. So that's where LIDAR was born. Oh. I didn't invent it, but I was there for it. Excellent. Um, which, yeah, I use it all the time now. Well, I use the images. I don't use the actual LiDAR set. <laughs> the upshot is, after I got done with that career, I had time on my hands, and I went into this more or less full time of studying ancient mysteries. My favorite place to do that is, well, around where I live, which is in the greater Ohio Valley. I live in southern Indiana. Hmm. So I explored and talked to people and did a lot of book type research. And I've got a lot of good hints from people who have already done a lot of what I've been doing. So the upshot is in 20, well, uh, 2011, I think it was, I had finally finished that first book, Graves of the Golden Bear. And I went all over the Eastern United States, a little bit out, out West promoting the book and talking to people who were interested in the subjects. And I got more hints, so there'll be another book later. Anyway, mm. <laughs> ever since I was 14, 
I had been at 14. I was talking to two guys in a little town where I grew up, old men who were self-described local historians. And they had there. Each of them had his own version of what what originated a couple of stone based fortresses that were at either end of Indiana and that there were either 10 or 12 total fortresses in a line across Indiana depending on which guy I was talking to. And at 14, I thought they were just crazy old men huh. uh, about, about my age and attitude now. But as soon as I started digging into the history, the real written down, you know, published history, the two at the, either end of this line are known to exist. They were studied by archaeologists, geologists, and everybody back in the 19th century. So I had all that data I could look at and read and study to see if uh, there really were 10 or 12. Well, so far, I've gotten up to six total. So I'm pretty sure the rest of them are out there. I just haven't found them yet. Wow. How do you, so you said you use LIDAR technology. How do you find the images or how do you even go about trying to find and do this research? Because Google is so scrubbed nowadays that it's, you have to have a good source. You do. And not all my sources found by internet search. Ah, perfect. <laughs> so the way I got on to, you know, where would they be? I'd use a little bit of logic. One of them being the first two were on major waterways, the Ohio River and the Wabash River. So the others would probably be somehow associated with water sources or waterways that were navigable because that was the highway of the time. All the water was, you know, our equivalent of the back roads. Right down yeah. to the narrowest creek. If a, it could float a canoe, it was a passable waterway. <laughs> so I took a ruler. Oh, no. First, first thing, I published an article in Ancient American Magazine saying, hey, there were these two places. I'm looking for more. If your property has stone walls, near water, and a few other things, uh, then I'd like to hear from you. So one guy sent me a letter through Ancient American, and he said, I think you need to see my place. And he was right. I did need to see my place. So I looked at it, and I put it on a map. And I said, wait, where's my ruler? <laughs> and I put the ruler from the one on the Wabash River to the one on the Ohio River, and his was right in the middle on the line. So oh, wow. that was the first. Yeah, that was the first one. And since then, I found three or four more. Three for sure. One maybe. Um, but yeah, it was. It really was that simple once I figured it out. But it took a while to figure that part out. I should have used a ruler right away. <laughs> hey man, you know uh, <clears throat> it comes in time, and when it, <laughs> when it's supposed to happen, I guess it's it's crazy too because. You know, if you hadn't had the original like writing interest, then writing to American uh, ancient America, then you wouldn't have found that discovery and it just naturally unfolded on you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So the the fortress that was at the Ohio River, it's in Charlestown, just outside Charlestown, Indiana. It has been rumored for as long as a white man has been in Indiana, Kentucky to have been built by one Prince Maddock. I don't know if you've heard this tale or not. No. Prince Maddock was supposed to have been a half brother to King Arthur. Oh, boom. 
Yes, I heard about this King Arthur story. I wanted to know more about it. I heard, yeah, he was shot and killed in uh, Kentucky, I believe, or something to that effect. Probably in Fort, Indiana. Fort, actually, probably on an island in the Ohio River, depending on which story, story, uh, story you want to believe. I heard uh, Frank Frankfurt, something about Frankfurt. Is that in there? Uh, Frankfurt is the capital of Kentucky, but yeah. where he body was laid to rest for two years. Uh, this is according to a guy by the name of uh, Alan Watson, who translated a bunch of the ancient chronicles of ancient Wales. The body was desiccated in a cist inside a cave for two years before they took it back to Britain. Notice I didn't call it England. England did not exist then. Um, and they found that his son, Arthur's son, was not yet old enough to rule. So there was a regent in place. So they didn't tell anybody that he was dead until the son became of age. So another two years in a different cave. So he was actually buried in at least three different places, uh, four, because they took him out of the cave and buried him somewhere else. Um, so the graves of the golden bear would be about the king who was known to his people as the golden bear. Oh, that's fucking fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's how that part of it came about. The people who were studying Prince Maddox and that tale around Charlestown, Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky, because there were a bunch of them, there's still a whole bunch of them who are interested in it, did not know about the association of the 12 forts. Uh, the people around Kentucky weren't aware of the fort at Miram or any of them in between, really. So I've been introducing that stuff to them and we're kind of working together to figure it all out. There are some other features around Southern Indiana that one of them certainly seems to represent a message inscribed in stone in mm. the Colburn alphabet. And Colburn was the alphabet used by the ancient people of what we call Wales. They call it Cymru. Their language is Cymru. And uh, anyway, so there is some, I call it, intriguing if not convincing evidence that they were here you won't get very many academics to entertain the idea but if you lay out enough evidence they shake their head and say i don't know how you gathered all this but i still don't believe you <laughs> um i'm i'm all but banned from a couple of archaeological museums in indiana <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to do some uh some late nights uh uh, uh, investigations, uh, maybe sneak past the uh, security there, huh? Well, Just kidding. Better I get other people to do it for me. I got um, you. I will see you. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's where I am kind of mixing the background up to today. Um, I'm still chasing some of these things. Did you have something specific in mind you wanted to talk about, about all these mysteries? Cause there's plenty. Yeah, uh, with with this King Arthur legend, uh, Prince Prince Madoc is his son. Is that what's happening? His half brother. Oh, his half brother. Okay, and so, uh, do you know any more about this King Arthur legend, and uh, where does this information like really come from? What legends does it come from? How do they know that he was in America? Okay, uh, I mentioned Why? Alan Watson. Uh, he. He has a research partner, 
Alan and his research partner have gone through all the ancient records in Wales. And of course, they didn't call it Indiana or Kentucky. They called it, at one point, they called it by the Fortunate Isles, which was the ancient Roman name for it. Oh. Um, yeah. So the, the, the condensed version. Prince Matic was the admiral of the Welsh fleet while King Arthur, and this would be King Arthur II, incidentally. Mm. Um, and he was king in about six, sorry, 563 AD, I believe was when he became king. And he'd been a fighting man long before that. Prince Matic was the admiral of the fleet. So they were, you know, the military of Wales after the Romans have left. Um, and in 535 AD, depending on which calendar you're using, because the Welsh used a different calendar, a different starting point for the calendar, um, there was a an extraterrestrial impact event in the Atlantic that pretty much ruined all of the British Isles, and it had a tsunami effect on the Americas. Well, Prince Maddox's fleet got washed into the Americas. He lost about 90% of his ships and men. And he was here for 10 years rebuilding before he made it back to Wales, Britain mm. to find that his native land was in famine and all kinds of crap because, well, the sky had gone dark. This, this event had thrown so much stuff into the atmosphere that the Dark Ages was a literal thing. It mm. wasn't about not being able to read or whatever. There was no sunshine. <clears throat> and you can find those references in other ancient texts, you know, when there was no writing. Um, <laughs> so he said, hey, I know where there's a place. It's all green. Almost nobody lives there. We could all go then and be happy. So they loaded up a bunch of ships, about 700 by one account. Uh, axes, oxen, you name it, they took it. And they got driven back and killed and absorbed by the natives before it was all over with. Except that Maddox managed to get Arthur's body back to Britain. So, so this event, this extraterrestrial impact event, had an effect across the entire Northern Hemisphere. And everybody in that period, middle to late 6th century A.D., started building stone fortresses. Don't know why they thought that would help, but they thought that would help. Marauders stealing their food, that kind of thing. And that's what I think most of these fortresses across Indiana are, and Illinois and uh, Southern Ohio, et cetera. And I can show, since I've published a book, I've done a lot more research on the where the mounds are placed mm -hmm. in such a way to form either boundary markers in some cases or used as line of sight communications outposts to go from hilltop to hilltop to mound to hilltop to mound, 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 mm. hilltop mm -hmm. ah. using reflected light or torches or however they wanted to do it. And uh, going back to the ancient Romans again, and I barely touched on this in the book, but there was a, an ancient Roman historian by the name of Polybius, he was actually Greek by birth and held as hostage in Rome for, well, his lifetime. Um, but he was the only eyewitness who wrote an account of the fall of Carthage. And he talked about how they used torches to send alphabetic signals over long distances. The U.S. Army used a very similar system beginning in 
late 1860s. They had uh, led a contract to develop it during the Civil War. It never came to pass until, well, to use in the Indian Wars. They used it against Geronimo. They had a 400-mile line across the southern border trying to keep the marauders out. Um, and they used line of sight heliography mirrors to reflect sunlight. And they could send that signal 400 miles and back an 800 character message in about four and a half hours. That's pretty cool, man. I've seen that interpreted yeah. in movies before, like uh, using the mirrors or using the flame. I, I kind of yeah. want to touch back on to uh, the mounds because obviously the mounds are mysterious on their own. You know, there's not a, complete written history um of exact dates who built them why they're built but we have speculations um but uh we have some informed speculations oh well what are what are your speculations on them like and maybe like if if you have like a timeline or a chronology of sorts and uh and, and maybe their use sure uh let's first of all let's go to the oldest known mound in north america let's go known because known because it's at Watson's Break, Louisiana, oldest because it's had one carbon-14 test done on it. There's been no other archaeology done on Watson's Break. It's 3,800 B.C. Oh, okay. Yeah, so pre <laughs> predates uh, King Arthur a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, it, it predates most of the pharaohs, too. Um, yeah. It's very similar in age to Stonehenge, Alvaberry, uh, all the great mounds of Britain and France. Um, it it predates Chen's mound in China. It yeah, it's old. Um, the next oldest one is about three thousand years old, and it's at uh, I'm sorry, three thousand BC, five thousand years old. It is at uh, a place called Poverty Point in mm -hmm. Louisiana. Poverty when Point. Right along the Mississippi River. Yep, yeah. Uh, it was, it, at that time, its outer border was the riverbank. But since then, the river's cut through, cut off about a third of it. And it has seven concentric rings. Does that sound a little bit like Atlantis to you? Just, just Yes. Yes, man. I'm wondering, like, you know, this, the, the mounds that are found all over the world were connected to this ancient ancient society ancient lands ancient people um because it's there's just too many correlations and the timing on it they're not recent they're not recent by any means at all so i'm wondering well, those are, are they atlanteans but you, you also have mounds that were either built or at least rebuilt post-contact one example is in indiana it's called angel mound and uh, it's a, right on the Ohio banks of the Ohio River, near Evansville, Indiana. One of the mounds in it had, uh, and this was found by a pot hunter, not by an archaeologist, so it doesn't count to the academics. This pot hunter was probing the mound in the late 60s, early 70s, and he found a Spanish breastplate buried in this mound. Well, mm. two things are wrong with that. <laughs> The archaeologists say the mound is far older than that. The historians say that the conquistadors never made it to Indiana. Uh, and yet there's one, one incident that proves both those things wrong, and they ignore it. 
So I wonder if it was planted there on purpose almost, maybe. That's interesting. Would you give up your Spanish breastplate for a hoax? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I, I saw yeah. that Walter uh did the forward uh for your book. Scott um, Walter, yeah. Yeah, Scott. Uh, uh, his uh, his TV show America Unearthed. He, when he was talking about the Mayans, he was saying that the the Mayan blue color came from a spot in Atlanta, in Georgia. So Georgia, it's pretty, Atlanta. yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting that 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 blue dye that they were using uh, came from that location. Almost seems like there was something going on in the Gulf of Mexico that maybe got covered up with water later. I know that's one of the I think hit points of the younger Dryas uh asteroid or yes not, uh, so 65 million years before the maya but yes <laughs> but there, there, there are some other archaeological finds that i find even more convincing than that dye slash paint one of them is a type of ceramic vessel that has been unearthed everywhere from western arizona to middle florida all the way up into wisconsin at least 38 of them they look identical or at least the pieces that we have look identical and the contents have been tested by a very i would have to go with prestigious laboratory and they came up with it's cocoa or it's a cocoa product cacao cacao bean product oh yeah and um, and my take on this is that it probably was a fermented cacao product mm-hmm. and it was traded as, well, it could be used as currency, which is what Montezuma did. When, when the conquistadors got to Mexico, Montezuma was using this or a very similar product as a currency. And, and he had lots of it. He also had lots of gold, but that's all the Spanish were really, really interested in. So these 38 different vessels, 38, 36 different sites with 38 different vessels, all containing cocoa, which, by the way, was a perishable product that came from extreme southern Maya land, Guatemala, Belize mm-hmm. area, and made it to Wisconsin within eight weeks before it could spoil. Uh, that tells me they had some pretty darn good long distance trade. Shit, yeah. man. I, I can, I could touch on this a little bit. Um, I've worked with raw cacao, worked on some cacao farms and uh, you take the pot. And so in South America, a traditional drink that they'll do is they'll take the pods, they'll ferment the juice on the outside of the fruit. And it's, it's a life elixir. Like it's like a fucking B vitamins, caffeine, all this stuff. And it's just like, it blows your mind. It gets your body tingling and you can take it and preserve it and honey and so there's this thing called blue honey too so i'm wondering i don't know if there's any correlation with that there but this this is blowing my mind right now i'm confident there's a correlation with the product ending up where it did because of the qualities you just described but there was no honey involved so how did without the honey they can't preserve yeah fuck i don't know man they had to been cruising or they had a bu- there's massive amounts of people. I, it's it's crazy it's to think right about 1100, 1180 miles um, 
gotcha. from the coast to Upper Wisconsin. But there's no proof know, of horses at that time. Peninsula, let's Peninsula. Let's say you had paths set up and you had runners or canoes or whatever, and you could make it to the tip of the Yucatan in what? A week? Two weeks. Let's mm-hmm. say it was two weeks. And then you got in a seagoing canoe, which, by the way, they were longer than the Pinta or the or even the Santa Maria. Um, they could get to the mouth of Mississippi in four or five days, maybe, maybe even less. And then go up to Mississippi to Wisconsin in two weeks. You could make it, but you were hauling ass. Yeah. No time for no time for pee breaks or uh, uh, checking out the you know the local museums because we got to deliver this cacao. We got a big order. Yeah, right. So so on top of not only the rapid delivery, the uh, advanced pharmaceuticals, however you want to state that part of it, they also had marketing and branding techniques where all these vessels were the same. You knew what was inside. It's like a Coca Cola bottle. You knew what was inside. Mm. That's advanced, in my opinion. Like that's 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 very well thought yeah. out. You know, it's methodical. They obviously have high means of transportation that we're on a fucking aware of. Dan, you were saying that there is no proof of horses at this time. Is that is that true? In America, I would have to disagree with the statement, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying not that we are aware of that there's any proof of horses. If you have some contrary Our proof, indoctrination to that, is that there were no horses. Right. That's our indoctrination, our education. Mm-hmm. Same word. Thing. <laughs> However, when you there, I'll go three ways, and we'll we'll work on this one. the The horses that were bred by the Nez Pierce tribe of Idaho and Montana. Do you know Appaloosas? You know these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These spots, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just spots. They also have a condition where they have, yeah, I can only call them warts, some kind of little growth that's associated with this each spot. The geneticists who don't care about history, they only care what the genetics say, say that those horses have been bred separately from all other horses for more than a thousand years. Uh, excuse me? Hmm. There had to have been horses here for 500 years before the Spanish got here, as a minimum. Now, at about that same point, a thousand years before now, the prairie Indians started doing things differently. They started making their teepees bigger, their lodge poles longer, the hides for the teepees heavier. And they were no longer using dogs with travois to move their teepees. They were using horses. It's only explanation. Oh, maybe they tamed some buffalo, but I kind of doubt that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, these are archaeological things that cannot be argued. Uh, they, they, the archaeologists discovered that the teepees became bigger at a very specific period of time a thousand years ago. Well, let's see. When did the Vikings explore North America? Oh, yeah, that was about a thousand years ago. And they brought their small horses with them. Mm-hmm. because they were hauling lumber. They used the horses to move lumber. Um, and the fjord horse, I don't know if you've ever seen one. It's a small-bodied, strong, strong-willed, attitudinally challenged horse. <laughs> My God, they're strong. <laughs> anyway, that there was one about that size that was discovered in a mound, again, in Wisconsin, 
Oh, wow. And the archaeologist, state archaeologist said, oh, well, that's an intrusive burial. Uh, we don't care about that. Just cover it back up. It's like um, there was an axe, stone axe, discovered over the horse. And it had a wooden handle that could still be C-14 dated. Huh. It's C-14 dated before a thousand years ago. So there. So who <laughs> there was were I don't know how many. Who's in America first? Um, well, okay. I want to say one thing real quick. Poseidon, right, was like the, his, his animal was horses. He was the ruler of Atlantis, right? So supposedly uh, in the time of Atlantis, you know, there would be plenty of horses around in that landmass. If it was a landmass, uh, could have potentially been in the middle of the continents. And there could have been horses all around the fucking world, right? I don't doubt that. Um, but I've heard you talk about, and you brought it up here a little bit uh, before, uh, but ancient Romans being here. And that's a large part of your book, too. Um, but also the Vikings have come here, right? Like, so America is very well traveled upon people know about it and if atlantis was a thing then who wouldn't know about it maybe it was it was always been known about and the you know it it just kind of right. maybe got lost over time who was the first people here in your opinion uh from from the from the other side across the pond which which pond that's the big question oh, Did shit. They come <laughs> or the pacific and i'd say both they came from everywhere and it came at all times. There are okay. Let's let's go to current archaeologically um, defined moments. We have rescue archaeology going on at the edge of every glacier on the planet because the glaciers are melting. Right, that's mm. the whole Earth is warming thing. The glaciers are all melting. Why are we finding artifacts under the glaciers? Hmm. Good point. <laughs> Just a question. Solid. Yeah. There's there's a archaeological site, native site in Canada, uh, dated by tectonic, not not tectonic plates, but tectonics, the tectites, the ash that falls out of a volcano. Mm -hmm. And they're very specific to the caldera that erupted. These are dated at 72,000 years old, and there are artifacts. Oh, there. Shit. Advanced uh, artifacts or like stones and chisels? A spoon. No, they're, they're bifacial flakes, and yeah, there's a little bit of everything. Ground stone bowls. Um, but the, the natives there, Anasabi, they can't get the archaeologists to even come and look because oh no that's not possible here it is <laughs> um, lewis leakey you know that name mm -mm. he discovered lucy he discovered a four million year old hominid okay oh yeah nice. lucy. yeah uh he was called to a site in california called calico hills have you ever heard of calico hills i have not okay you should look that one up it was a gold mining country Oh, shit. And they were discovering artifacts. And Leakey put a number of 200,000 years on some of it. Wow. In California. Yeah. We're both, we're both in California, so I think we're both Googling this right Gold now. Country. <laughs> Gold country. 
Yeah. Uh, nice. So I don't know, Sonora, Columbia, up in there someplace. Yeah, it's, I mean, no doubt. I So there's, um, I kind of want to get your opinion on this because there's, you know, old maps that show California is an island. There's some old maps that show the Great Lakes not there. Um, you know, there's all these, you know, suppose, and hey, it's like maps are, you know, back in the day, we didn't, you know, have photo maps, right? Like people are drawing this, drawing it. So we have to trust these guys in drawing it. So looking at ancient maps is only, I mean, it's only as credible as you want it to be for whatever you're looking for. You will find it on an old map, right? Cause you made yourself find it. What do you well, there's think? There's another side to that one too, but go ahead. Yeah. I, well, what's, what do you think about, you know, California as an Island and, you know, the great lakes, maybe not being there at one time, uh, and magnetic anomalies to come with that, you know, is it, is it a, a Pangea situation or do you think, uh, cataclysmic and, and, do, or do you think any of it was even real? Well, I don't know. Maybe the map that showed California broken off was a future thing. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, the Great Lakes were always there, but that explorer had never been there. And his sources had never been there. Okay. But since we're on that one, you, you know, you can get it out of a map almost anything you want to, but you can also make a map to show only what you want to show. Yeah, yeah. that's that's and, very, very and true. That, and that's where I went with the Delisle map in the book. First name escapes me. I think it was Francois Delisle. Anyway, he was the official cartographer, geographer for the French crown at the time. And his map that was published in 1716 was for the regent and then the Dauphine, who was not yet old enough to rule, so the regent was doing it. But he was helping to prepare materials to train the king to be on what his realm really was. And at that time, it included much of North America. And the La Louisiane was brand new. It was founded in 1702. So they didn't really know much. But everything that they knew, they conveyed to Delisle, who then drew a map of something he'd never seen. <laughs> I, I'll say that maps could probably, and maybe at one point, were only used to draw things that weren't there or to control a narrative. Um, and it makes complete sense, you know, especially That's people working in the royal house. In this part of the ocean, or, or the edge of the earth was over here. You don't want to go there. The, all those things are true. All those things happen. Delisle, clever man. He knew things. <laughs> that he needed to convey to the king or the king to be that he didn't want anybody else to really discern from his maps. Hmm. So he had little hints in there. For instance, he capitalized this word on this place, but it wouldn't be capitalized on this place. Same word. Ah. Uh, an article for, uh, uh, let's see, uh, La Plume. Uh, a mean mean de la plume, uh, lead mine, mine de la plume. And law was capitalized on this side of the Mississippi River and not capitalized on this side. Well, the one on the west side was a much larger deposit. Than so it was a subtle but interesting way of providing information. Mm -hmm. Presumably, there was also a dialogue, a narrative that went along with it. But with, with the map, 
Yeah, that's that's crazy thing about I, I I've been digging in a little bit to uh, the Baconian cipher and 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 looking at how um, <clears throat> you know writers of antiquity would would do things like that. They would put in very specific capital letters, you know, or spell a word a certain way, knowing that it's wrong. Right. And it's, you know, and like with the maps, it's like, you could take away with it, whatever you're looking for. Yes, you can do that. But there also was intent with these things. And so that's kind of something you want to keep a keen eye, a keen eye out for when you're doing research like this. Right. right. Something that like, well, yeah. And, and most of them had both a key and a legend. And if you, you could have the legend, and be able to figure out what was portrayed on the map but if you didn't understand the key you didn't know what it meant yeah 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 Um, you're gonna play the game without the rules you know you're just fucking you know stabbing in the dark at that point i'll give you two more examples similar in nature one of them is called the beale treasure since you wanted me to talk about treasure the beale treasure and then there was also the Voynich manuscript i don't know if you've gotten into the ancient coding thing you probably run across that one the Beale treasure, supposedly $22 million of 1980s value, gold, silver, jewels, someplace buried. And and by the way, here's the ciphered placement of it. If you can figure out how to decipher mm-hmm. this document, then you'll go find the gold. And everybody said, oh, well, the, the key to that has to be the Declaration of Independence. So the guy who wrote it was Thomas's. Thomas Jefferson Beale. It's like, maybe, but Thomas Jefferson never used a letter substitution cipher. Not once. He always used the grand cipher, the same one that Delisle would have used on his maps, the mm. same one that Meredith Lewis would have used in his journals. And it's syllabic. It's not alphabetic. Um, but I don't know what document to use as a key. Or I'd go find me $22 million worth of treasure. <laughs> you have some insight on some treasure we uh that that maybe uh that we can go try to find. Where where are we where are we looking, man? I, I need to know. I'm looking for 62 pounds of silver in the East Fork of the White River stolen by the Reno brothers in 1868. Um <laughs> pretty sure that's where it is. That's awesome. Uh, it was it was sent by one of their companions to St. Louis, but he drowned in the white river trying to get there. <laughs> Shit, Man, when you have, when you have currency like that, that's like a, uh, uh, something that's been like aggregorically, you know, brought up it, it, it may or may not exist. And there's people died around it and there's maps and there's stories and there's mysteries. It starts to become a whole thing on its own. Like there's energy attached to that. Yeah, there is. Um, the, the, the great train robbery, the very first full action motion picture was about the Reno brothers robbing a train, not the one that ended up in the East Fork of the White River, but that one was in Great Falls, Minnesota. Same same gang, though. Yeah, just running it, running the train tracks, huh? So how, no one has found this train? Oh, they found the train. They took the gold, uh, silver off the train, and they sent out posse's in all directions. And they never found any of it. Oh. My contention is they put it on a flatboat, sent it down the White River. Yeah, but it got broke up at a, the only falls on the White River, and uh, 
went down with the boat and he drowned. Let's talk There's about some more. Paul doing that trouble finding that part. Let's talk some, about some more treasures and artifacts. Have you found any uh, thing personally? Treasure? I, not, I don't know about, you know, no gold, silver, jewel treasure, but new knowledge is always a treasure to me. Absolutely. Yeah. What about uh, artifacts like coins or uh, script or stones, carved stones? I have, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. The script that I discovered will take us back to Prince Maddox, King Arthur. If you if you've seen the cover for the first edition book, there's a symbol on it on the cover that uh, is a piece of script that I found over the entrance to a cave oh. in northeastern Alabama, and this would have been the cave where they desiccated King Arthur's body. Okay. And it's it's Arthur Sigla. It's like it's almost like an Avengers symbol, but I, I, I think I, the one on, on you're talking about your book on the, t on the cover of the, the golden yeah. bear. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that, that, that has a whole story behind it, huh? So you found that yeah. when you were out uh, exploring, you want to tell us that story? Sure. Uh, when I wrote that article for ancient American, one of the first persons to contact me about the article wasn't the guy who had the property. It was a guy by the name of uh, Lee Pennington and his buddy, Jim, they, they had been talking to Arthur uh, uh, Wilson uh, about translating all this. Mm -hmm. And he said, so have you ever heard of the Welsh caves? Lee did. And I said, no. He said, want to go? I said, sure. He said, I don't know if I can get in. You know, Lee's going to turn 83 next month. And at that time, he was probably 73 and had just undergone heart surgery and all that stuff. And I said, Lee, if we have to rig a motion chair and lower you into this thing, we will get you in there. And we did. So I have actually been there a couple of times. But the first time was when we discovered that there is a cyst that is perfectly suited to desiccating a body. And that there's this thing over the entrances says basically Arthur. Hmm. Uh, so I was pretty convinced and we stayed long enough to look for um, sunlight casting shadows of specific shapes and whatnot. But we only found the one engraving that we thought was associated with Arthur. We found several more inscriptions, but they were Civil War era, more recent graffiti type stuff. And by the way, the Civil War Graffiti looked like it had been carved that day. The Arthur graffiti looked to be 1,500 years old. So <laughs> there you go. Huh. What, what do you think about Civil War? Uh, I don't think it will ever end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, we keep restarting it every two or three administrations. Um. <laughs> Wow. We need a whole different show about that. I was going to say it's a pretty big, <laughs> pretty big question, but uh, do you think it's it, uh, w just like a, at least like a, do you think it was the scale that it was? Um, do you think it was, it was lied about for indoctrination reasons, maybe to 
maybe to to help kind of cover up more of like because I I think about it like this, man. Discoveries happen, right? If people start finding out too much about what they're not supposed to know, there will be a big distraction in the people who are running the society to just either like be like, hey, we're gonna. You know, or or it was real or sometimes wars happen for real reasons. But the Civil War was it's too painted, in my opinion. It's it's too scripted and too painted. And there's just a lot, a lot of details. Well, let me see if I can get this straight. The guy who is uh, my take on it is the guy who is portrayed as being one of the four greatest presidents of the United States suspended four conditions of the Constitution in order to accomplish his goals. He started dictating laws of a to a foreign country, because at that particular moment, the CSA was not part of the United States. And when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, first of all, it's a proclamation. It is not law. And it did not affect Kentucky or Maryland, who were neutral in the war, so they could keep their slaves. Hmm. But the other country couldn't keep theirs. It's like, I'm sorry, but this is not a great man. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Indiana resident for you know his early life. I get that, but hey, no, <laughs> don't buy it. Um, all of the Confederate veterans were eligible for veterans benefits from the United States. They were buried honorably by the United States, except at Shiloh, where you know, Grant pushed them into a hole and covered them up. Um, there are a whole bunch of things wrong with that whole thing happening at Fort Sumter. It was attacked by the sovereign state of South Carolina because, well, it's in South Carolina. Um, and the United States Navy and Army were taking up residence in South Carolina. You know, if they'd held off another three weeks, they probably could have just starved them out. <laughs> they had an open fire on the United States. It, it probably would have settled without warfare. But that's the whole thing. Uh, another thing is the first use of the 10th Amendment, if you're in the constitutional law. Well, I'm going to turn this right back around in a minute. <laughs> 10th Amendment. If, if a state doesn't like a federal law, they can ignore it. And that's what the northern states did with the Runaway Slave Act. They said, we're ignoring that. And they did. So it had no effect on the real world. Just like the... Oof. Getting we're getting juicy. Yeah. Getting too juicy. Too ah. juicy. Hey, he's back. I'm back. Hey. Sorry, guys. No it's all right. Man, you should have saw it. we had an interview the other day with a lady in Australia, and it was uh it was like every eight words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> editing that one, man. No worries. I, I was trying to set up a hardwire, but I just ran out of time. Uh anyway, where was I? Uh, 10th Amendment. Okay. 10th Amendment. Constitution. Well, in that case, Bill of Rights. Um, Constitution, how language changes. I always use the Constitution as an example of how quickly that can happen. What is your definition of the phrase, the pursuit of happiness? Uh, anything that makes you happy, content without having to uh i don't know maybe just content with pursuing a, a goal or whatever the self-satisfying that is not the origin 
origin of the phrase in the Constitution. (laughs) (laughs) The origin of the phrase as used in the Constitution is we're not going to let the British come and commandeer you to serve in the British Navy anymore. You got the job you want, not what they assign you. Pursue, Uh occupation, work. Whatever You want to be a blacksmith? Go be a blacksmith. You want to be a politician? Good luck with that. Nobody will like you. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how quickly and completely, I might add, that the use of language can change in a mere 240 years in English. Yeah. 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 The law, the law dictionaries, man, they, they will blow your mind. If, if I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, you know, have looked into the whole, like trying to, you know, claim sovereignty and, and things like that, or just understanding the dictionary of law will blow your guys's fucking minds. Same exact words with completely different meanings. So when cops ask you specific questions, you think you're answering one question, but you're answering a completely different language. Yes. <laughs> well, like uh, I'll give you another example since you brought up legal usage. Uh-huh. Discovery. You know, discovery. Uh, you committed a crime or somebody committed a crime uh-huh. and you called the cops and nothing happened. Well, Three years later, he says, I got away with it. Statute of limitations. Not if the prosecutor picks up on that statement, I got away with it. Because that's when he discovered there was really a crime. Oh, yeah. Tweaks and turns, man. Like, you got to watch You got to watch her back. Especially with the internet now. Uh, We're incriminating ourselves a lot. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So it's it's all in usage and... um, Context. Context is another one. Since since we're on language, let's go talk about the Mayan language a little bit, and the whole line of sight thing. Yeah, uh, I've got some archaeologists and anthropologists that will argue day in and day out that I'm completely wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. The Maya, the Olmec, the Aztec—they all use line of sight communication. So did the Greeks and the Romans, and probably the Britons and everybody else. They all knew how to do this. But they all use their own language and their own alphabet or symbology or syllabary, however it worked for them. Maya. Maya has, one word has four different meanings depending on the context of Mm -hmm. it's used. That's why the Spanish could never master Mayan or Quechua or any of those South American languages. Just couldn't get it. The Maya word ka as an example king jaguar sun fire yellow it can have several different uh, meanings depending on the context in which it's used so if you were using it in a line of sight communications with louvered flame or reflected sunlight or however you were going to do it the guy on the other end had to have some idea what you were talking about so if it's a numeral four versus the word king, don't know. But if you were Roman, Polybius tells us they had a certain signal. He didn't tell us what that signal was. It differentiated between numerical and alphabetical. So one, I, 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 V, it's B, I, V in Roman, but it'd be Ka in, Maya. So 
it's the same idea used by people on both sides of that pond anyway. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking, uh, we, we talked to Eddie, esoteric Eddie about, uh, Tez Catley Boca. <clears throat> and, uh, he was like the moon God. Uh, and then there was the other, the other one caught a tall and, uh, in the Toltec, atoll or atoll at the end of words is pretty popular. So, and then atoll, ATL, also would uh, be the first three letters of Atlantis. Uh, yeah. So, there's an interesting connection there that I just and popped into my brain, mm. especially when yep. we're talking Beautiful. about like Atlanta, too, right? Yeah. Atoll. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Indeed, there, there are so many connections that they certainly seem to be real. <laughs> I don't know how to prove it. You know? Yeah, I, know, yeah. I know. We're like we're getting, we're getting so much pressure to have to, you, to let, like lay it down when it needs to be fluffed up and brought back to life. Have you found any other uh, artifacts around, or know of any that uh, prove that there was people here before uh, Columbus and all of them? Uh, obviously, we'll get into the stone structures a little bit in a minute. But is there any like other stone artifacts, breastplates, swords? Any type of uh, things like that that can prove another people were here. Before I, I can, I'll Spanish. give you one example uh, where the archaeologist dug it up, but didn't really want to talk about it much. And this is back to Angel Mount, same place on the Ohio River near Evansville. Uh, the guy's name was Glenn Black, and he's he is the daddy of Indiana archaeology. The daddy. Indiana and, Jones. We'll come back to that one. I want to, yeah, I want to get into Indiana <laughs> Jones for sure, please. Um, one of the things he discovered in the same mound where the other guy had found a breastplate was he found uh, a ring of boar's tusks. It's like, hold on a minute. I wow. thought DeSoto was supposed to be the first person to bring pigs to North America. Why are they buried in an ancient mound? Yeah. He just he just said that's what they are, and he put them away. Man, I need to start looking into the ancient. I I know nothing about the migration of animals, like about the ancient like migration or or, or tracks of animals. I need to look more into that to kind of understand more because you're you, that's that's swine good are not native to the Americas at all. Hmm. They have you know what to call American swine. They're capybaras and whatnot, but they're not true swine. Okay. They have tusks that are different, but you know, they fill the same ecological niche, but they're not as easy to domesticate. Um, but DeSoto, it gets really interesting when you start digging deep. DeSoto brought, uh, one of the guys with DeSoto brought seven sows with him for the excursion into North America, a lot of Florida. And so they went from seven to 1,200 hogs in three years. Uh, excuse me, but he only brought sows. So either they were all pregnant and half of them were boars or some significant number were boars or whatever, but they multiplied prolifically while the soldiers were actually near starvation. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's something really wrong <laughs> with this whole thing. Um. One of the entries in the Chronicles of DeSoto's travels is that they got into a war. No other way of stating it. DeSoto had a company-sized strength of men 
with, at that time, the most modern weapons on the planet, firearms included, sword, spears, uh, and war dogs. Cannons. They did have a cannon. Uh, it's, it's unclear exactly where they lost it. But I, I would be looking for that sucker, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, the, the uh, natives that they got into a tussle with outnumbered them to such a degree that they had to retreat. And it's the only time they actually retreated. But in doing so, they helped. They kind of burned down the entire village and everything that they were in. And uh, they lost about 500 of the hogs to the fire. It's like, uh, okay, but how did he get 500 hogs out of seven to begin with? And then, uh, you know, the story goes on and on and on. Yeah. So uh, maybe the seven uh, was set because seven usually is, uh, if it's a single digit, it's, uh, it can be like, you know, an alchemical number or like a, a, a specific number. Uh, this is my wife. Hello. Hi. Hey, lucky lady. <laughs> and a nerd, a big nerd. I'm a big nerd. Hell yeah. Us too. <laughs> We're nerds also. So you guys own a restaurant or a cafe? Bar and grill. Dude, nice. It's nice when there's people in it. So. Oh, it's been packed. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll go check it out, man. Where where can we go to this uh, this amazing uh, eatery? Oh well, since you mentioned it, <laughs> it's, in, it's in a tiny town called Bicknell, Indiana. It's very near a larger town called Vincennes, Indiana, the oldest town around here. Uh, it was founded in 1732, incidentally. Um, and yeah, Indiana became a state in 1819. So you can do that math. <laughs> uh, Vincennes has mountains all the way around it. I'm kind of putting together the idea of maybe a, a motor tour of the area to include those mounds and some of the other stuff. Yeah. Bye, guys. Nice to see you. Nice, nice to meet, to meet you. you. Thank you. I'm Kendon Barr. <laughs> <laughs> so Vincennes was founded in 1732 because there was a buffalo crossing on the Wabash River there. And the buffalo that I'm talking about are not the eastern are the Eastern Plains Buffalo, not the Western Plains Buffalo. And the guys were, you know, those Buffalo were like four feet tall. They were tiny by comparison, but they ran into millions, much like the Plains Buffalo did. And the French wanted those hides and they worked with the natives, the Piankashaw and uh, Miami and Delaware and we natives of the area to establish a peaceful trading post. And they did that for a good long while. Well, right up until 1756, when the English started a war with them. Uh, at any rate, that's the written history of Vincent. But the ancient history and the natural history are even more interesting. Getting back to DeSoto, the river there, the Wabash River, produces probably the highest concentration of river pearls on the planet. Whoa. Uh, they're not oysters, they're mussels. <clears throat> and they make pearls. They don't make little round perfect white pearls. They make gnarly white pearls. What's the pro- what's the process? That's super cool, by the way, um, because pearls 
that ties into another episode we had of uh, our first Amer- Ancient America uh, month episode with Graham Dumlop. But uh, how, what's the what's the process of that? Do they, is it like a mating thing? Like I know nothing about that. Do you, or do you know? No, it's something inside the shell, something that irritates the meat of the muscle, and it starts forming a calcium ball around it. But in muscles, it becomes misshapen. It's not round. It might be football. It might be God knows what. Might be a hydra shaped thing. But they can make them pretty good size, and occasionally they make black ones, and those are considered rare and valuable. Black, black pearl. pearl. <laughs> yeah, man, that's super cool. Yeah. I I love that. You know the story, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? So, do you think pirates pirates were a thing? We did have river pirates on the Ohio. Well, you had river pirates on the Wabash, for that matter. But oh, cool. Um, not very long. They got shot early on the Wabash. Um, there were river pirates at a place called Cave and Rock, Illinois, which has its in. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about the cave and then I'll come back to the pirates. The cave itself was used to make a movie in 1956 for Walt Disney Corporation called Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. In doing so, they redressed, quote unquote, the interior of the cave. They painted over all of the ancient paintings that were in the cave. What the fuck? <laughs> Disney man. Yeah. So the river pirates were real, and um, how the West was won, and Davy Crockett and the River Pirates were both about that bunch of pirates, although it wasn't all filmed there. Um, and they would waylay anybody who came down the river. They'd just kill them and take their stuff. Savages, wow. man. So that's that's some real savages right there. Those motherfuckers. So advanced in time about 30 years, and somebody discovers that the area is rich in a mineral called fluorite or fluorospar, depending on what school you went to. This stuff is the fluorescent lights are named for it. It glows under black light. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is also used in great amounts as flux to make steel out of iron takes all the impurities out of your mix. So it was pretty much mined out in that area. And now about all your forest bar comes from elsewhere. But they're starting to reopen these mines because nobody else can make steel the way the U.S. can. Nice. Um, nice. The All of the forest bar is on the Kentucky side of the river, and this cave is on the Illinois side of the river. But when they built the ramps, uh, and there's still a ferry operates there. When they built the approach of the ferry, they started finding small, carved, intricate, beautiful carvings of effigy stuff made out of fluoride. It's, it's like trying to carve talcum powder. It's that soft. Mm-hmm. So, A, how did they do it with such precision? And B, how did it remain preserved in a riverbank for however long it took? But it's all on display at a museum in Marion, Kentucky now. Wow. Just, yeah. And I really encourage anybody that's in the vicinity and even in the region, go see that museum. That's There's something to that area that you're in, right? This The area that we've been talking about, the Ohio River Valley, Indiana, Kentucky, that seems so consolidated. Like there's so much there going on, like all these mounds. You come out to Cal- come California, obviously I live in the hills and the mountains and it's, it's really beautiful, but it seems more like 
the West is more like kind of spread out with their kind of history and their, and you know, this, whatever, like, a, a, I, can, I don't know. I'm just going to say the word history, but you go to where you're at and it seems all consolidated. What's up with that, man? It's dense. Well, there were so yeah. many resources. You go to California. What do you rivers. got? What, what do you have? I mean, rivers. Yeah. Well, Lots we of rivers rock. going through that area, yeah. In yeah, the, we got rivers. In Ohio we've Valley. Got highways, is, we've got yeah. stuff growing. You know, I, it's all green here. I've seen California. Sorry, it's green for a month out of the year. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know. It's beautiful for that month. We're so, we're sun worshippers, man. We we get out and we tan our tan our booties. Yep. Um, but here we had all kinds of commodities, and mm. we still do. But now it's just corn, soybeans. Wheat, oh. a little bit of wheat, not much. You know, it used to be anything you can imagine. Yeah. Right here, yeah. this part of Indiana, we have what we call pawpaws. Ever heard of pawpaws? No. Way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. Way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. Yeah, they're also called Indiana bananas. Oh. One day a year, they're edible. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> One day a year, they're edible. So they were a delicacy, and you had to be here. To enjoy that delicacy. Wow. That's so that's kind of reminds me of this, like we were talking about earlier with like the Mayans and the cacao, you know, these these ungrateful conquistadorian motherfuckers, the real savages, right? Uh, yes. come over to this land that has food that they don't know about, nor do they even give a sh shit about. Like, do you think they even cared about this very special, intricate, you know, food that's provided by Gaia, our Mother Earth, to give us some sort of obviously awakening, enlightenment of sorts? Yeah, if you were to eat that one day, fucking year, for the Catholic Church and the King, that was it. There was that was their only thing: gold for them, gold for the King, gold for the Catholic Church. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, tests, but man. you know the, the pawpaws are just one example. You mentioned earlier all of the pharmaceutical benefits of the whatever gum that comes off of a cacao bean. Mm. Uh -huh. There are mineral springs in southern Indiana that have fantastic, I'll use that word, fascinating, I'll also use that word, benefits to longevity. Oh. We the the County, two counties over, Martin County, Indiana, has a set of mineral springs, has three different sets of mineral springs. One of them is called Trinity Springs. Three springs come out at the same Trinity. place. Yeah. And two different county surveyors of Martin County, of course, they're elected officials, but one of them was the elected surveyor for 58 years. Um, and he practiced until he was 102 years old. Because he drank from those springs about every day. Wow. So what do you think that would do to draw tourism to your area? If hey, this guy's 102 and he can still whip your ass. <laughs> the the um the mineral springs revelation or or the connection that humans have always had to mineral springs has been dwindled out. Like I think it was part of like the new indoctrination era to just like get people demineralized as possible because, um, you know, talking about ancient Rome and Greece and stuff like that, that's where mineral springs were like, they loved it. They would bathe. Yeah. They had magnesia. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, it's, it's just, I, I guess I'm just, I get ramped up when it comes mm. to like the, 
the demineralization that we've had and experienced because we um, should be happy and fucking healthy because everything that we need is provided here. And it's things like that, man, like the mineral springs. People, go out and drink the motherfucking mineral waters. I go it kinda, out It kind of gets into the idea of Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth also oh, well, in yeah. the Americas. I, yeah, and, uh, I'm glad you're the one who brought that up because I think that's this one he was looking for was what we call trinity spring oh yeah and there you go in indiana right in the indian uh yeah, they're looking for india spanish breastplate here yeah yeah there it is spanish breastplate so they're uh they're looking for the fountain of youth in uh the americas and interesting yeah. it's called indiana too is there names behind like ohio and illinois that are uh kind of predate the yeah. Colombian era uh i the ohio is uh, yeah, that's an Algonquin word name for the river. Okay. okay. Indiana was a white man's name for a territory. Illinois was named for the Illinois tribe. Okay. Who, who were more in Wisconsin than they were in Illinois, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> they just, they kind of weave. So it's like, you have, you have like European words here. You have some native words. Right. Jefferson did not want to call it Indiana. Uh, he had a native word that uh, it escapes me. I forget now what it was, but he wanted to call it something else. But he was overruled. The guy who named it was, for all intents and purposes, um, Arthur St. Clair. And he had been George Washington's aide de camp during the revolution. Uh, he was the president in uh presiding officer, the president in attendance of Congress of the United States. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't even the United States then. It was Continental Congress. Scottish Freemasonry, right? Right. He was the ninth president of Continental Congress. When they say that the United States first president was George Washington, that's technically true because it was now a different document controlling the area. Yeah. But Arthur St. Clair was ninth president of the Continental Congress. He was also the governor, self-appointed, I might add, of the Northwest Territory. The Northwest Ordinance was the last law passed by the Continental Congress. And that was taking their winnings from the revolution and saying, this is now part of the United States. What are we going to do with it? Um, <laughs> it wasn't even the United States yet. But yeah. he said, I have an idea. I'll just govern it. So he did. And then in 1801, Ohio split off as its own territory. And he governed it, and he sent William Henry Harrison to be the governor of the now Indiana Territory, which was all of the Northwest Territory except for Ohio. So Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, and part tiny part of Minnesota were part of the Indiana Territory. Then in 1803, Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark west to buy the Louisiana Territory from the French and whatnot. Well, he wasn't buying the land. He was buying exclusive trade light rights, but that's a whole different story. Mm. And for that period of time, from the time that Meriwether Lewis signed the documents in St. Louis until uh, sometime in 1805, the date escapes me, William Henry Harrison was the governor of both the Indiana Territory and the Louisiana Territory. He was governing four times as much 
land as the United States had as states <laughs> from one seat in Vincennes, Indiana. That's that's part of the history tour I want to do. That's a that's a that's a lot of lot of lot of little minions running around keeping the eagle eye out for the fucking power. <laughs> Uh, Sinclair, he's the one. Uh, his family line is the one that started or uh, started uh, the Freemasonry, right? You are on to it. Yeah, and and at Marietta, Ohio, where he set up his capital for the territory, he built uh, a graveyard over existing mounds, and the gates of that graveyard to this day have Templar crosses on. Oh, yeah, that also connects into the the Rosicrucians having corn uh, depicted in their uh, frescoes. And yes. uh, this gets into Oak Island, which I wanted to talk to you about being an avid treasure hunter and your ideas on Oak uh, Island and uh, Knights Templars. I have being around one there. very important Oak Island idea. It's a ruse. It's not uh. there. It's just a place to keep you busy. In French terms, uh-huh. it's a... Uh, Canard. Canard. Can Alice uh, Canard. <laughs> yes. Why why do you think it's a ruse? Um it's kind of like our entire quote unquote free press. Oh look, there's something going on over here, but I want you to look here. Yeah. Yeah. They know where the real treasure's at while they're telling you where the where the fake treasure Totally. Yep. It's like, yeah, go, go to this place. I um, mean, Oak, Oak is significant. I mean, Oak is an alchemical tree. It's an important tree and tied throughout and using stories. And, uh, it's like, it's the equivalent of Adam in the Bible. Yes. Oh, and, nice. And the, and the Celts, Druids all used it as their mainstay. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Oak and the Ash. Oak the United ash. States Constitution, the, uh, not the paper. The ship, the USS Constitution. It's all oak. Three different kinds of oak. White oak is almost the entire ship. The shoe, the fish or shoe where they set the mast, that is red oak. The keel and the the uh black. Yeah, it's black oak. Ah, uh, red, white. Red oak is the black. shoe. Black. Red, white, black. Those are the the three Atlantis colors. Yes, they are. Red, white, and black. So tell me, what is orichellum? Orichellum? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not copper. It's not brass. It's not green gold. <laughs> well, it's it's a reddish color. They said, but it's a, oh, it's like ochre. Oh. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It you know it's it's not red mercury. It's Interesting. Uh, the really white Caucasian people that came around uh, would wear the put the red ochre on their body as like sunscreen to protect themselves from the sun, which is yeah, the same thing that they did in Egypt. Yeah, that's why you see a lot of red red people in Egypt in the frescoes because it's actually white people. There's one fresh ochre at Luxor, and it shows a guy in a canoe in the middle of the Nile, and he's wearing a feathered headdress, and he's swarthy complexion yeah yeah do you know what the egyptian word for canoe is Hmm. no canoe (laughs) (laughs) oh man messing with yeah i I don't know (laughs) 
Well, there's, there's, un, it's undoubtedly, uh, you know, more than a possibility that, you know, America was known about before pre Columbia, you know, obviously pre Columbia, um, you know, that it's just the fact that it's, it's so suppressed and that it's so like not part of the mainstream story just shows us that, that, that it's not fucking true. And so, um, talking with you is, is, is cool. And, and I, and I hope they have like another book coming out or you working on something else, man. Cause you, I'm actually you, working on three different books at once. Holy shit. Quickly, but uh, it keeps me busy. keeps me from being bored. Um, I want to segue back to something you said earlier about not knowing where all the animals and stuff came from. Mm. A guy by the name of Carl Johannesson and his writing partner, whose name escapes me, wrote a a book where they described, I'm, in, I'm not able to quote it, but somewhere in the vicinity, 450 different species of plants and animals that are oh, wow. in North America or they're in the old world, but originated in the other place and could not have been transported other than by mankind. And some of them could not have possibly come across the Bering Strait because they wouldn't survive that trip. Yeah, that's a great that's a great book piece of literature I'm going to have to to peek a peek upon. What's the name of it again? I I don't remember the title, but the author's name's Carl Johannesson. That's enough. There we go. Carl Johannesson. Our he good, was a PhD. So. Oh, cool. Our good buddy Gabe lives out in uh Indiana. I'm not sure where, but he's cool. Um, so I'm going to. Fritz Zimmerman used to. I think he's in Florida now. Mm. Fritz Florida. and I have appeared on the same dockets a few times. But... Excellent. Uh, yeah. What? Do you, what uh, we were going to get back to the Indiana Jones story. All right. Okay. Indiana Jones is buried in Washington, Indiana. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> sorry. But... There's a gravestone in Washington, Indiana, Oak Grove Cemetery, and it Oak uh, Grove buried there is named Indiana Jones. Interesting. And it's a woman. She died in 1871 or something like that. H.P. Pavatsky. Huh? H.P. Pavatsky. There's like a kind of like people think that the young H.P. Pavatsky, young Indiana Jones kind of story, Theosophical Society. Yeah. But I. I don't know. She was a tarot card reader. That's that's all I can really say. <laughs> well, she. I no, mean, nothing, nothing against that because I use tricky sticks myself. That, that, what's tricky sticks? Uh, dowsing rods. Oh, you're a dowser. Yeah. Oh, can you tell us a little bit more about dowsing? It works or it doesn't. <laughs> it works for you or it doesn't. What have you doused? How do you douse? What is like? I honestly like. I just heard about it a little bit ago. He froze up. Yeah, frozen. You're frozen. Or they won't work. You can get your questions answered, but my next my next thing I'm going to douse is uh, a cigarette lighter that used to be owned by Russ Burroughs. No. Oh. Uh, if you, you don't know who Burroughs was, go look up Burroughs Cave. Burroughs Cave. Unfortunately, you froze during the explanation of... Pardon? Uh, you froze during the explanation of the dowsing. 
Oh, so we, Dowsing, missed, we missed all of it. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. Dowsing okay. either works for you or it doesn't. Um, yeah. What have I found, Dowsing? I've I've found answers to a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, found uh, earthen mounds that are known to have existed, but they weren't were no longer visible on the surface. But kind of like finding a water pipe, they'll let you walk along. Uh, I found a cave without being underground. I found where the cave is because it will tell you. Um, The next thing I'm going to search for with dowsing rods is a cigarette lighter that used to be owned by Russ Burroughs. And if you don't know who Russ Burroughs is, go look up Burroughs Cave. Wow. That's cool. Because Um, if I find that cigarette lighter, it's because I'm in Burroughs Cave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... There's uh, 45 different sites around the Ohio Valley uh, that show that people were here before Columbus. What do they typically look like? Are there just circular structures? And uh, is there anything, uh, any type of like astrotheological, astrotheology associated with it? Not theology, but astro. What's it called when like when the sun shines through holes and stuff? I forget the name of that. Oh, uh, uh, astro projection. Not astral projection, astro projection, solar projection. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two of those along the Ohio River that I know of. There are probably more, but most of the Ohio bank on the Indiana side is silt right down to the edge. So there's not a lot of rocky bluffs. At Devil's Backbone, which is the site of one of those forts I mentioned at the opening of this thing. Um, there were a great many petroglyphs carved into the rocks there, but they were destroyed purposefully between 1894 and 1904. Uh, I, I should say sometime between 1869 and 1904. But there was a, mine, a, a railway company in there salvaging rock to use in construction of a bridge. Um, huh. Yeah, okay. The bottom one there, that's Burroughs Cave Stone. Yes, it is. Wow. And so is that one. And so are those. Yeah. Oh, that these one, are cool. You know, that one. Yeah, they are. They're very cool. And there what are some <laughs> 2,700 different examples of them out there that Burroughs brought out of the cave. And I don't believe he made them all himself. This isn't Fountain Burroughs Cave. This all these. Yeah. Th- this is clearly Egyptian. Looks to be it's, Egyptian. Yeah, it looks I, to be Egyptian. Yeah, yeah. It looks to be Egyptian. But you, it's kind of like. Uh, let me let me give you a different perspective on that. Uh, is Mickey Mouse American? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, at this point he's worldwide. What? Yeah, that's yeah. There you go. This is an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, there's also one that yeah, it's really hard to find on the internet, but it portrays an ape. Go, go back up to that one, Roman. That's that's the moon and uh, Star Davis. Oh, Venus. I think it's yeah. Venus. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, what is that on the towel? I was just looking at that. I was just, yeah. Can't zoom in anymore. 
but look you gotta it's mm-hmm. clearly i mean f- would be female right those are clearly yeah. boobs of sorts and and right and a and lotus standing in water and she's carrying a towel yeah oh a she's an aquarius the water bearer no Maybe? i think i think she's a tourist and i think that's a caricature of a jewish tourist but it's just not oh interesting yeah it's got the it's armbands and a what's the name of the site that you're on so other people can go see it that can't oh get the visual yeah sorry guys uh this is steamkr.com so s-t-e-e-m-k-r.com slash history slash forward slash a ball forward we'll put the link history. we'll yeah, put we'll the put link in the show notes artifacts so found in illinois basically planet, every academic on the planet says they're all hoaxes well i could i kind of get it because it's like these are these are good but they're not like crazy detailed right they they look really good detail they look like too detailed for that old in my opinion like that right there that that face that looks like a white dude with the egyptian headdress well that's a that so but what i mean is by by detailed i mean like it's good but it's i wouldn't exclaim it to be like this doesn't look like, you know, the uh, hieroglyphs, you know, found in other places. Because yeah. just the style of it seems a little bit right. off to me. Looks new. It looks so, too new. Yeah. Well, it, it looks pretty good. But, okay, this one with the boat mm-hmm. as an example. Um, nobody can read most of these characters. But that sun symbol is found in odd places not associated with Egyptian or Roman or Greek stuff. That sun symbol is found in Senegal and Mauritania. Ah, Mauritania. Yeah. Senegal, on the other hand, two or 3,000 years ago, they were building all the ocean-going ships that the Mediterranean was using, except Hmm. for the ones out of Syracuse. But anyway, there are some 2,700 artifacts have been removed from the cave by Burroughs and delivered to people. Um, and he says there are at least that many more in there. What? <laughs> yeah. And you lo- he lost a cigarette lighter and you want that. That's awesome. <laughs> if I find that cigarette lighter, I'll know I'm in the right place. Nice. Yeah, yeah for sure. Wow. Um, that's cool. I'm going to stop sharing. So I, had to, I had to look. I had to look at some of that. I was like, "This is." Some of these are looking like they're from another area. So that that was really yeah. cool. Um, I have one. One. I I know we're kind of. You said an hour. We're about an hour and a half. I hope that's cool. Is that all right? Yep. All right. Um, I I want to know about like a any ancient wars that you might know about that we haven't heard about or um like a like a battle of sorts ancient wars yeah between like you know the yeah yeah oh you mean in north america yes yeah sorry specifically north america like this area um you know obviously pre-columbian um well yeah pretty pretty sure that that's the reason they build all those stone stone fortresses in the fourth and fifth century but um yeah there were some there were probably a lot. When you find a peaceful village, you don't find any arrowheads in it. You'll find tools, but you won't find arrowheads. When you find arrowheads, it's either hunting grounds or battlefields or some combination of the two. 
Um, Native Americans, according to are they all the archaeologists and most of the anthropologists, did not have archery until about 700 AD, which would have been shortly after the Welsh brought theirs here. And they had the very beginnings of the English longbow. So they had distance. Um, <clears throat> most of the natives up until then were using atlatls. Oh, there's that word again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> atlatls. Yep, yep, yep. And they had a, about a 20 yard, 30 yard for a good strong arm range. But who wants to be within 90 feet of a pissed off grizzly bear? So, <laughs> or bison for that matter. Yeah. Um, so the archery was a, a quick catch up for Native Americans of both continents, supposedly. And yet you find all these little bitty points of the archaic paleo era six, 7,000 <laughs> years ago. These would not have been used for big game. And they would not have been attached to an atlatl. Yeah. Yeah. So what's wrong with this picture? Were they just throwing them at something? Or I, were they trying to throw them with a sling? I don't know. They had <laughs> birds, birds had snakes. really good slings. Uh, yeah, birds. Bird points did not have a point. They used a blunt end because they just wanted to break the wing and keep it alive till they got back to camp so the meat uh. would be fresh. <laughs> yeah, not shooting at a flying bird, probably waiting for it to be perched or something because, you know, you, right. the things they are... probably did a lot of water birds on the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's actually... the Yeah, and plus the meat itself is uh, it's fattier, and so it's probably better than most bird meat. Uh what what about star forts, man? You know, so so the star forts come up a lot, and you know we have the mainstream narrative of these star forts that are used for you know battle, but then we have this esoteric kind of like viewpoint of the star forts. Maybe they belong to an, an ancient civilization that understood resonance, potentially the original Hyperboreans, or maybe Atlanteans, Tartarians, what have you. What's your opinion on star forts? I've seen, I've been at the location of two six-point star-type forts. One is in Ohio, and it's actually now a golf course. You can still see most of the outline. Classic. <laughs> Fucking wow. classic. Yeah, it's great, great uh, what was obstacles for a golf ball. Um, <laughs> what you see in the ground, what you see of the raised earth stuff does not tell a very doesn't tell the tale very well. Let me put it that way. Sure. Because they almost certainly had palisades, wooden palisades up, and the star shape let them defend the next wall over. They couldn't defend their own wall, so the other guy had to do that. When you get up into, and then we're talking ancient, as you mentioned, we're talking probably 1500, 2000 BC. Oh, wow. You can find those in Mexico. You can find those in Guatemala, Belize, um, maybe one in Ecuador is kind of iffy. Way the hell down there. Let's put it that way. What are they called down there? Do they have a, a name, like a, a more native name that you might know about? Uh, they probably do. Oh, Nicaragua is the other place. Nice. Uh, the, the first person to actually make mention of them in any documentation kind of thing, academic style documentation. Um, was E.G. Squire. And you you hear of Squire and Davis doing the survey of the mounds of the Mississippi Valley, but 
Squire was also hired by the U.S. government to be a cultural attache to Nicaragua. And it's probably how Walker got in there in the first place, but that's a whole nother story. But there's one there on the shores of Lake Nicaragua. You find the same shape in places like Scotland, the Orkney Islands. Uh, there's one in, I think, nobody agrees with me, I think just east of Oslo along the shores of the sea there. And there's one in uh, Jordan, the nation of Jordan. So it wasn't an unknown thing. You advance in time, you get up to about, say, the time of Christ and up to about 1100 or so, they started making the shape a little different. Angel Mounds, another example. They had D-shaped um, things coming out of all their palisade, which enclosed 52 acres, by the way. They had D-shaped defenses. And you could shoot from the sides of the D or from the front of the D to shoot at the next D and everything in between. So they were uh, 100 feet apart. This was mm. this was archery stuff here. This was not outlinal stuff. This mm -hmm. was archery stuff. Slings. They could do so, slings, but but the windows were only this wide and that tall. So you had to be really good with the sling. Yeah. So would that be like a, a D this way and then a D the other way? If you're looking at it from above, it do this. Okay. Uh, the uh, the Saxon shore forts of Britain are the same exact thing. Hmm. Huh. So it is a worldwide uh, structural sound like it was as if it was like maybe a worldwide, uh, you know, like they all were making the same kind of structures, right? Well, they're using the same kind of logic. Let's go with that. Logic. Militarily, sure. you set up to defend yourself. Even if yourself might be partly over here or over there, you're going to defend your butt. So that gave them the possibility, uh, the logistics to do so better than just a straight wall that went all the way around because all you can do is stand on top of it and take pot shots from outside. That, that That's the whole thing wrong with the whole uh, Lord of the Rings fortresses. It's like, really? Yeah. All you got is a parapet? Come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. So you think they were for defenses, though, and for military use, uh, uh, but just ancient military? They were certainly well-suited to it. Yeah. Man. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, uh, no doubt, no doubt. You mentioned yeah, Oslo. All they were, you know, you go, go for instance, back down to uh, the shore of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. The French built a couple forts down there. One of them is still standing, and it has diamond-shaped uh, appendages sticking out from it. Again, mm. you can defend your buddy's side. Yeah. You can't defend right in front of you. You can't. You'll get killed. You mentioned Oslo. Where's Oslo? Oslo, Norway. Sorry. Ah, oh, I was gonna say, where's Oslo and who's the wizard? Actually, is about twelve miles from the current palace of Oslo. But R Roman's been on a Wizard of Oz kick lately, so I want to <laughs> throw that in there for him. My nickname is always, by the way. Just is it? <laughs> oh man, yeah, I was gonna say you kind of. Um, you you kind of have like a big Lebowski uh, vibes going on. You got like major dude vibes going on. I will take that as a compliment. Fuck yeah, it's, it's a compliment. Indeed, it is. Yes. <laughs> um, I I have one final question for I you, and that's so. uh, my 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 final one is is just like, what's your overall 
kind of worldview of the americas uh like like who was here and 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 what happened and why did it happen and you know into the present like what do you think now that you've know all this different history and you've seen these uh mounds and you've seen these structures and recover the artifacts what's your what's your take on the americas everybody came here everybody came here with something in mind most of them to get rich or get well and i know that well, that can be a yeah. connotation mm -hmm. but um exploiting resources is why people came here uh -huh. exploiting resources is why people still come here by the way whether they're walking across the border illegally or not they're here to exploit Reasons. what we have yeah we're still here to exploit what we have here or other, otherwise would have gone someplace else it was better but there aren't any supposedly we'll save hollow earth for the next episode <laughs> i'll look forward to that too go <laughs> In the meantime, go to thehollowearthinsider.com. There you go. Oh, yeah. Do you want to give us uh, any any final statements where guests can reach you, uh, where they can buy your book that apparently is really hard to find and get because it's not in print anymore? It is not in print. Uh, occasionally, there'll be a copy available on either eBay or Amazon or some of the used, a, some of the other used book sites. Uh, they go for all different prices. Um, I, it's not in print now. I, if I can have my way, it will be back in print by the end of this calendar year. But don't let that delay you from reading it. Just saying. Yeah. One of the originals will be worth more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe do. Are you uh, ever going to consider doing a revised edition, like with uh, extra uh, new info? Yes, that, that's part of the plan. But nice. Multiple I'm also doing one about Burroughs Cave. So, oh, that'd yeah, be cool. It'll be fun. Uh, uh, you got a YouTube channel too. Uh, saw some, some old interviews on there that are pretty good, some juicy stuff. Yep. The Uba Loopa Cafe interviews. Yes. <laughs> there, someplace. Uh, Oopa Wizard Oopa of Cafe, Oopa, Oopa <laughs> is an acronym for out of place artifact, and Lupa is an acronym for large out of place artifact. You run across. Uh -huh. Someplace on the prairie. Please let me know. Shit, man! I wish I would have known that for our our That's, decode video last night. <laughs> we did a Wizard of Oz decode, and that would have been some good info. <laughs> there you go. Hey, man! That's awesome. Um, all right, well, Dave, you good to go, baby? Yeah, we can do Halloween next time. We can do cryptids next time, huh? Yeah, yeah, cryptids too. Hollow Earth cryptids. You froze on me again. Yeah, uh -oh. you froze up too. It's all good. Do you have any uh, what websites where people can find you at or anything else? Anything else going on? Not just the YouTube and the Hollow Earth Insider. And I'm, yeah, we have ancientamerica.com. Uh, okay. I, I built the original. It's been rebuilt since then. And we have, uh, I don't know. 400 articles or so on it so there's a lot of good background stuff there um, we let anybody send anything in and we publish it so you know it, it's not academically tested or anything it's just okay. what they have what they think it is and what's the name of your youtube channel uh rick osman or, or there's also one for oopaloopa cafe okay excellent 
uh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. There's a whole bevy of inf- good info in here. Uh, so well appreciated. Uh, well, I'll been- let you guys know when I get my bus tour going. All right. Yeah, we've been covering ancient America for this month, and we're even going to go into it again next month just because there's so much stuff that we keep finding and uh, other ideas coming to the surface. So uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you, Rick. Uh, Fire Tribe, go check out Rick's stuff. Check out the YouTube. Check out the book. Um, anything else, Roman, from you? All right. And wake Welcome, Fire Tribe, to the prologue. I'm Danny Naki Dan. I'm the homie Romy. Yeah. So, Rick Osman. Awesome. The Oz. The Oz. (laughs) The dude Oz. He he totally had big Legrowski vibes. Uh, Lebowski. uh, Oh, sorry. There's a bar I used to go to called the Big Legrowski. And Uh, it was a. a, So, anyways. yeah, dude, he was awesome, man. What uh, what what, what was your what was your main takeaways from that? Oh, uh, you know, just like all the different things going on in America that predate Columbus, uh, from the structures in the Ohio Valley to the artifacts that they've been finding, like so fascinating to me that there's all this prehistory. Even when he was talking about the the star forts there at the end, right? I mean, in BC period, like I thought these star forts were from a later period for the civil war. So the fact that there's star forts around in the BC area in America to fight off what? Huh? Who? Huh? Was it just for animals or was it for humans or was it for giant humans? Or, uh, I mean, we didn't even get into the idea of giants, hollow earth and cryptids. Uh, with them so that's gonna have to be one for next time but yeah i think this opens up a lot more interesting stuff to america especially with the king arthur stuff um i find that fascinating i would really like to find somebody that knows a whole lot more about the king arthur subjects book is about i mean he because he said that king arthur was known as the golden bear right yeah yeah and his book is called the graves of the golden bear like his book is about king arthur so um i think maybe he could have uh gone deeper into it but we we asked a lot of like uh different questions and then we would go he's he's one of those kinds of guests that we we like around here because you can ask him a question and he just keeps on going yeah uh yeah i would like to find that book and maybe read it and get into that and uh and see if I can figure out more so I have, I'm better prepared to ask him better questions, uh, especially with the King Arthur subject, because I find that so fascinating, the whole the whole thing, because they're yeah. searching for the grail, right? They're, the whole King Arthur story is about searching for the Holy Grail. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of ideas about it being in America, the pirate flags, being the Jolly Roger, being uh, symbolism for... Uh, carrying the bones of Jesus, which is why the skull and bones at Yale has also the Jolly Roger, because uh, 
is supposed to be some secret society that knows about the lineage of Jesus, supposedly. So I find that highly interesting. What else you got, man? What, what do you think? Cool. What did you think? I'm gonna. I'll just start off by saying, like, it's not only until we started this show that I've given a fuck about any American history. <laughs> I was so such an anarchist for so long, so highly opposed to anything America that like I didn't even want to hear about any. American history because I won any of like civil war. That's why I got into him with, with Rick with the, about the civil war and shit is like all that shit. I know is fake as fuck, right? Like it's written in a specific way. We're only getting one side of the story, so on and so forth. But, uh, but it is fucking fascinating and it's so heavily dense over there. Right? Like my favorite thing I think from it was the burrow cave. Yeah, right. that that's what the fuck like treasure hunting. Okay, so things I like treasure hunting, pirates. I like heist, train robberies, <laughs> grave diggers. Like I am a motherfucking criminal. All right, that's what I do. Okay, I run heist out on these streets, dude. You know what I'm saying? Robbing <laughs> banks. I think I was a train robber and a bank robber in the past. Like, I ain't a criminal, y'all. Y'all know me. Uh, I'm about the good vibes and I'm chilling. But that shit isn't interesting. One of my favorite shows of all time is Black Sails, Showtime show. Um, you know, it was a, it's, it's a great story about pirates. And I'm like, either the pirate story is so fake that it's not fucking real and Nassau never existed, or it's so real and there's so much, you know, uh, um, suppression of that type of history, you know, uh, that, you know, there's, it's either, it's either so, fake or it's so fucking real right and whatever and but but yeah anyways dude i'm caffeinated it's not yeah. morning, baby. i thought the really interesting thing was the the three oaks the red oak the white oak and the oh, black oak yeah and how that cor correlates to atlantis and the, mm -hmm. all the atoll things right yeah there's so much fascinating stuff there it seems like maybe America was a definitely part of the Atlantean civilization. And there was, it was, it has always been mm -hmm. multicultural. It has yeah. always been the melting pot of the world. This is where everybody has gone to uh, harvest foods, take to other places because they couldn't grow it in their desert lands or in mm -hmm. their uh, cold snowy lands. So they were producing materials here and then using it for the like world trade and trading it all over the place um it, that's definite trade going on especially yeah. even in the atlanta story they were protecting america right that's why mm -hmm. they had those islands outside of the uh straits uh, uh between morocco and spain uh, they're protecting the land out here so from other people to get it and using it for their own benefits and then going into the mediterranean mediterranean and then trading these goods that they were getting from the americas that's kind of what to me the atlanteans were were these uh high trade people who were uh protecting the americas from the people in the uh eastern area there's a lot of that going on and i i think this this idea of you know suppressed or erased history like the fomenko stuff you know he came up with a specific like algorithm to figure it out 
Um, but like, like I was saying, you know, you look at the story that we've been fed as Americans about how there's where the establishment of America, right? It, like there's not even one day that it was a thing. It was over periods and years and years and years of periods, uh, periods of years. And it's probably even longer than that. There was no severance or separation between when people have been here and when they haven't, you know, um, because there's always been activity going on, whether it was from the Bering Strait or whether it was from a land bridge Atlantis or just boats and travel, you know, even up on the the other side of the, uh, um, uh, you know, how the Vikings were said to get here through like Iceland and Greenland and shit like that. Exactly. Yeah. So... It's, it's inevitable, and we need to just shake it completely, any of the natural narrative story. But the natural narrative story does have the Masonic shit going on in it. Mm -hmm. So there's the esoteric Definitely. history of it, too, because we can get into all of this nitty-gritty, you know, war and, um, you know, this kind of like main the, – the blanket story of history. But underneath the blanket is where all the esoteric and the occult lies and mm -hmm. the people who are really pulling the strings on what the fuck's going on, right? Because you have all these people – you know, est establishing, you know, like, hey, I'm the I'm the head of the army. I, I'm this guy. I'm this guy. But there's always the motherfucking string pullers. And, you know, they are they're They're in with the alchemist. They're in with the magic. They're in with the woo, the deep God spiritual shit. And so that's the shit I really like, too. Um, yeah, man. And yeah, there's a, I, I'm rambling. I'm so yeah, caffeinated. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to tell people to a, a few updates. Uh, Esoteric Eddie has uploaded uh, the Tets Catley Polka video up on his YouTube channel. So go check that out. Uh, it's really good. Um, also, uh, check out the Patreon. New episodes dropping there. Um, $3 a month. You guys, I don't know how you can say no. $3 a month. We need some new, we need some new subs, man. Help us out. Throw us a bone. Yeah, if dude. Show, if you like, if you like the show here, you're going to love the shows that we put, put for you over there. So go check those out. Also, ancient America is getting deeper. We're moving into next month. Um, and we're going to have more ancient America shows for you. So stay tuned. Uh, this month has been fantastic with Graham and esoteric Eddie, Karen Mutton, and now, uh rick osman uh fascinating fascinating stuff we're gonna dive a little bit more deeper with some other guests uh so stick around stay tuned uh keep keep an ear out um also like share subscribe to the podcast if you love us uh join up on the telegram join the fire tribe become a patreon member and uh we'll see you on the other side thank you Yay, yay.
Welcome, Fire Tribe, to the prologue. I'm Danny Naki Dan. I'm the, the homie, homie. Yeah. So Rick Osman. Awesome. The awesome, Oz. Man. The Oz. <laughs> the dude Oz. He, he yeah. totally had big Lagrowski vibes. Uh Lebowski. Uh Legra- Oh, sorry. There's a bar I used to go to called the Big Lagrowski. And uh. it, was, it was a so, anyways, uh yeah, dude, he was awesome, man. What uh, what what was your what was your main takeaways from that? Oh, you know, just like all the different things going on in America that predate Columbus, uh, from the structures in the Ohio Valley to the artifacts that they've been finding, like so fascinating to me that there's all this prehistory. Even when he was talking about the the star forts there at the end, right? I mean in bc period like i thought these star forts were from a later period for the civil war so the fact that there's star forts around in the bc area in america to fight off what huh who huh and was it just for animals or was it for humans or was it for giant humans or uh, i mean we didn't even get into the idea of giants hollow earth and cryptids uh, with them so that's gonna have to be one for next time but yeah i think this opens up a lot more interesting stuff to america especially with the king arthur stuff um i find that fascinating i would really like to find somebody that knows a whole lot more about well, the king his, arthur subjects his book is about i mean he because he said that king arthur was known as the golden bear right yeah yeah and yeah. his book is called the graves of the golden bear like his book yeah is about king arthur so um, I think maybe he could have uh, gone deeper into it, but we we asked a lot of like uh, different questions, yeah. and then we would go. Yeah. He's he's one of those kinds of guests that we we like around here because you can ask him a question and he just keeps on going. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I would like to find that book and maybe read it and get into that and uh, and see if I can figure out more so I have I'm better prepared to ask him better questions, uh, especially with the King Arthur subject because I find that so fascinating the whole the whole thing because they're yeah. searching for the grail right there the whole king arthur's story is about searching for the holy grail uh so i mean there's a lot of ideas about it being in america the pirate flags being the jolly roger being uh symbolism for uh carrying the bones of jesus which is why the skull and bones at yale has also the jolly roger because uh it's supposed to be some secret society that knows about the lineage of Jesus, supposedly. So I find that highly interesting. What else you got, man? What, what do you think? Cool. What did you think? I'm going to, I'll just start off by saying like, it's not only until we started this show that I've given a fuck about any American history. <laughs> I was so, such an anarchist for so long, so highly opposed to anything america that like i didn't even want to hear about any american history because i one any of like civil war that's why i got into him with with rick with the, about the civil war and shit is like all that shit i know is fake as fuck right like it's written in a specific way we're only getting one side of the story so on and so forth but uh but it is fucking fascinating and it's so heavily dense over there right like my favorite thing i think from it was the burrow cave yeah right? that that's what the fuck like treasure hunting okay so things i like treasure hunting p- 
pirates. I like heist, train robberies, <laughs> grave diggers. Like I am a motherfucking criminal. All right. That's what I do. Okay. I run heist down on these streets, dude. You know what I'm saying? Robbing <laughs> banks. I think I was a train robber and a bank robber in the past. Like, I ain't a criminal, y'all. Y'all know me. Uh, I'm about the good vibes and I'm chilling. But that shit isn't interesting. One of my favorite shows of all time is Black Sales, Showtime show. Um, you know, it was a, it's, it's a great story about pirates. And I'm like, either the pirate story is so fake that it's not fucking real and Nassau never existed, or it's so real and there's so much you know, uh, um, suppression of that type of history, you know, uh, that, you know, there's, it's either, it's either so fake or it's so fucking real. Right. And whatever. And, but, but yeah, anyways, dude, I'm caffeinated. It's nine yeah. in the morning. Baby. I thought the really interesting thing was the, the three Oaks, the red Oak, the white Oak, and the oh, black Oak. Yeah. And how that cor- correlates to Atlantis and the, mm-hmm. all the atoll things. Right. Yeah. There's so much fascinating stuff there. It seems like maybe America was a definitely part of the Atlantean civilization. And there was, it was, it has always been mm-hmm. multicultural. It has yeah. always been the melting pot of the world. This is where everybody has gone to uh, harvest foods, take to other places because they couldn't grow it in their desert lands or in mm-hmm. their uh, cold, snowy lands. So they were producing materials here and then using it for the like world trade and trading it all over the place. Um, that's definite trade going on, especially yeah. even in the Atlanta story, they were protecting America, right? That's why mm-hmm. they had those islands outside of the, uh, straits, uh, uh, between Morocco and Spain. Uh, they're protecting the land out here. So from other people to get it and using it for their own benefits and then going into the Mediterranean Mediterranean, and then trading these goods that they were getting from the Americas. That's kind of what, to me, the Atlanteans were, were these uh, high trade people who were uh, protecting the Americas from the people in the uh eastern area there's a lot of that going on and i i think this this idea of you know suppressed or erased history like the fomenko stuff you know he came up with a specific like algorithm to figure it out um but like like i was saying you know you look at the story that we've been fed as americans about how there's where the establishment of america right like there's not even one day that it was a thing. It was over periods and years and years and years of periods, uh, periods of years. And it's probably even longer than that. There was no severance or separation between when people have been here and when they haven't, you know, um, because there's always been activity going on, whether it was from the Bering Strait or whether it was from a land bridge Atlantis or just boats and travel, you know, even up on the, the other side of the, uh, um, uh, you know, how the Vikings were said to get here through like Iceland and Greenland yeah, and uh, shit like that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's inevitable and we need to just shake it completely. Any of the natural narrative story, but the natural narrative story does have 
that Masonic shit going on in it. Mm -hmm. So there's the esoteric history of it too, because we can get into all of this nitty gritty, you know, war and, um, you know, this kind of like main, the, the blanket story of history, but underneath the blanket is where all the esoteric and the occult lies and Mm -hmm. the people who really pulling the strings on what the fuck's going on. Right. Cause you have all these people, you know, est- establishing, you know, like, hey, I'm the I'm the head of the army. I- I'm this guy. I'm this guy. But there's always a motherfucking string pullers, and you know they are they're they're in with the alchemist. They're in with the magic. They're in with the woo, the deep god spiritual shit. And so that's the shit I really like too. Um, yeah, man. And yeah, there's a. I, I'm rambling. I'm so yeah, caffeinated. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to tell people too a, a few updates. Uh, Esoteric Eddie has uploaded uh, the Tets Catley Polka video up on his YouTube channel. So go check that out. Uh, it's really good. Um, also, uh, check out the Patreon. New episodes dropping there. Um, $3 a month. You guys, I don't know how you can say no. $3 a month. We need some new We need some new subs, man. Help us out. Throw us a bone. Yeah, if dude. Show, if, you like, if you like the show here. You're going to love the shows that we put over, put for you over there. So go check those out. Also, Ancient America is getting deeper. We're moving into next month. Um, and we're going to have more Ancient America shows for you. So stay tuned. Uh, this month has been fantastic with Graham and Esoteric Eddie, Karen Mutton, and now uh, Rick Osman. Uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. We're going to dive a little bit more deeper with some other guests uh so stick around stay tuned uh keep keep an ear out um also like share subscribe to the podcast if you love us uh join up on the telegram join the fire tribe become a patreon member and uh we'll see you on the other side thank you yay yay Thank you.